welcome to Life Lessons with Dr. Steve Schell. For 20 years, Dr. Steve's 30-minute radio program, Life Lessons, was heard throughout the United States. Committed to comprehensively teaching through entire books of the Bible, Pastor Steve pulls out the deep, eternal truths in each section of Scripture without skipping over the challenging passages. He applies what is learned clearly and practically so that we're inspired not to just be hearers of the Word, but doers also. We are looking at the first eight chapters of Romans, first half, basically, of, the, of, the, of the Paul's letter to Rome. And I'm giving you an overview, and I'm going to refresh that again just today, briefly, just so you have a sense of the flow. And then what I've been doing, in effect, is taking the principle of Romans 8, and we're looking at it in a practical uh, process. Steps to freedom, I call it. And this is something the Lord just showed me. I hadn't anticipated doing this. But how do you live free? How do you, how do you deal with temptation? How do you deal with the assaults, the mental assaults, the depression, uh, all of the stuff that keeps coming? How do we live free of it? We all know we're supposed to. We want to. But it, in, in truth, we've found that it's far more difficult than we thought. Uh, there's a power, there's forces, and there's things that are hold of us that we're having a hard time seeing broken. Paul actually in these chapters, is explaining that very thing. Here's the situation, and here's what God has done to free us. So we're looking at steps to freedom. And today, I would call it the power of vision. So Father God, we ask you to open the word to us. Lord, we need to live this. This needs to be These needs to be skills that are built into our lives. They need to be processes that we live we want to be free. We want to run the race all the way to the end. We don't want to be drained and exhausted and overwhelmed with all of this, this, these temptations and these snares that come along. And you've provided for us. May this be life today, not information. And may you speak to us, Lord, and may we hear your voice. In your name we pray. Amen. Why should I deny myself this pleasure? Why should I refuse to harm myself and live through another day with depression? Why should I refuse to let rage, fear, prejudice, lust, hunger, envy, etc. swell up and take control of me? Why do I fight this fight day after day, year after year? What do I have to gain? Surely I'm not that important in any grand scheme of things. It would be so much easier to let go and let these things have their way. These are the sorts of thoughts that undermine a person's determination to live free. We saw that in order to live free of depression, temper, appetites, or addiction, I must honestly answer this question. Am I really willing to live without this? It's possible to surrender to Jesus but still love certain sins or be comfortable with familiar areas of pain. We saw that God must give me a revelation of the death that's in these to escape their grip. You recall that? But if I'm going to stay free over a lifetime, it's not enough to just see the death. If I'm to have a true resolve to obey, it's even more important that I see the prize. Which means I have another important question to answer. Why do I want to be free? To be free, I must learn to say yes, not just no. Would you read that last sentence with me? To be free, I must learn to say yes, not just no. I want to review the first eight chapters. But let me just remind you of where Paul goes so you have a perspective on, on what the section we're talking about. Remember Romans chapter 1, Paul says this. He says, people without a Bible... In this case, he was talking Gentiles. But people who don't have God's, God's word, God's law, need to be saved. Why? Well, they've worshipped the creation and not the creator. And they've violated their consciences. Chapter 2, he says people who have the Bible. The Jews in that case, it would be people growing up in church or being surrounded in church today. People with the Bible need to be saved. Why? Well, they know right from wrong. But they hypocritically violate what they know anyway. Romans chapter 3, Paul says, 
Every human on earth, everybody needs to be saved. By God's standard, we're worse off than we realize. Turn to somebody and say, you're worse than you know. Yeah. It, it, it's, I mean, that really is the message there. We can get there, I'll show you. I mean, he, he doesn't have anything nice to say. The assessment of God, when God looks at our lives, you know, we often think, well, I know you're bad, but I'm not sure. I, I got excuses, you know. I'm just acting out of my pain. Uh, you, you, on the other hand, are a real case. But see, we give all sorts of excuses. Then Paul comes along in Romans 3, and he just, just starts. He just, it's like, and he just says, let's, let's have a look at what God thinks of us. And ooh, it's a nasty picture. Romans 4 there is only one way to be saved because of this. And, always, and there has only been one way since the beginning of the human race. That's really important to get a hold of. We have this thinking of, well, there's the Old Testament, there's the New Testament. It's kind of like there's a new way to be saved now. And Paul teaches us, you and me, how to be saved going back a couple thousand years to Abraham. And he says, Abraham, here's, a, here's an example of a man who had the righteousness of faith. And he illustrates our salvation from a man named Abraham. So there's only ever been a one way to be saved. Old Testament knew there's only one way. And that is where God gives to people of faith the gift of righteousness. No one's ever earned their way to heaven. Amen? Romans chapter 5, Paul tells us what God had to do so he could justly judge sin, yet still forgive people and give them this righteousness. If, God's, if the righteousness we have is, is given to us, just placed over our lives as a gift, well, what happens to all that sin? Well, who deals with it? Who, is it just, is he just forget it? The answer is no. There was a justice that had to be appeased. And God sent his son Jesus who took the punishment for us so that God can now give us the gift of righteousness. Romans 6, does the gift of righteousness mean God doesn't care if we become righteous in our daily lives? All right, well, if he's going to just give me righteousness... Not based on my behavior, but it's a gift. Does he not care then what I do? Is it all right if I just kind of keep sinning? Paul's appalled at the thought. says, absolutely not. He says, God's gift has freed us from slavery to, to the, these appetites and temptations of our flesh. So we can obey him. That'll be really critical. What Jesus did in dying for us and in taking the judgment of God off of us and giving us the righteousness has released to us the power of the Holy Spirit. So now we can. Without God's power, we can't do it. But we have been given the power of the Spirit. Romans 7, and I pointed out that this is, Romans 7 is talking about, uh, I think, a believer, a Christian, as a Christian, I have a new heart that wants to obey God. I love his ways, but there are still forces in my flesh that hold me captive. How do I get free? He keeps talking about the good that I, I would do, I don't. The, the evil that I don't want to do, I do. I, in my heart, I'm serving the law of God, but he says there's something in control of my flesh, and I keep doing stuff I don't want to do. That's not, a, that's not an unregenerate person. Has a heart that wants to obey God, that loves God, that loves his law, that acknowledges that it's good. But he says, but here I am trapped by some forces that are pulling me away. Wretched man that I am, who will set me free? Remember that? And the answer, Romans chapter 8. Say Romans 8. That's the answer. Yeah, that's where he comes to the point where he says, now, here's the answer. And Romans 8 says, the key to freedom is learning to draw on the power of the Holy Spirit who is now inside us. This is something I must learn to do. It is not automatic. Let me just stop there a second. I had a woman, 80-something, and she said, you know, I have been beset with particular harassment for all these years. And she said, I, I've just been doing what you've been saying. And she said, I'm free. Look, time doesn't just teach you these things. What I'm, I'm trying to tell you, there are ways to lay hold of the power of God that really work. 
He really has provided what we need. But if you don't know it, you can go 80 years. This is a good woman. This is a great, fine, godly woman. But you won't know unless someone, you understand what Paul's teaching. And Paul's teaching it. We're not, I'm not inventing it. We're learning the deep principles that he's teaching here. He also says in Romans 8, and this is, we got to hear this too. He says, the depth of God's commitment to us, he gives it while we're being changed. Even though I still struggle as a Christian, the righteousness God gave me because I have faith does not fail me. Through it all, I continue to be loved by God and saved. Turn with me to Romans 8. You see, I still struggle and I still sin and I still have issues in my life. And Paul says, if God has given me the gift of righteousness, do I, do I lose it when I've sinned? Does he suddenly say, all right, get out of here. You failed. And the answer is what you're about to read. Romans 8, you there? Verse 1, what does it say? Wow. Let's try it together here. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Say it again. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There it is. Paul starts his whole thing. He's, and then he's going to go on and say, but what the law could not do, weak as it was in the flesh, God did sending his son in the likeness of sinful flesh. He's going to say, God has given us the spirit and we can be free and how we can do it. But he starts by saying, there's no condemnation. And he ends Romans 8 by saying, who will bring a charge against God's elect? Who, who, can, who is going to come and condemn us? And then he says, Jesus Christ the righteous, he stands at the throne interceding for us. Isn't that good? So while I'm learning, while I'm growing, while I'm getting free, I'm covered, I'm saved, I'm loved. You really got to get a hold of this. You see, this is a salvation that will save you and save me. This is for people who struggle. This is for normal human beings. This salvation, if you will stay with Christ, if you will keep trusting him and have your faith in him, he will never forsake you. He will cover you and you will indeed go to heaven. All right, now, look at, you're in Romans 8. I'm going to go down to verse 12. In effect, what I'm talking about today, and, and if I have a title which isn't on there, it isn't just step three, it would be the power of vision. And I'll, and I'll explain what that means. But I want you to just see the vision that Paul's casting right here for you and me. Romans 8 verse 12. So then, brethren, we are under obligation not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you are living according to the flesh... You must die. But if by the Spirit you're putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. You, for you have, are, have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you've received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. Do you see the vision being cast? You and I are sons, and that means men and women, by the way, Sons of God. The Spirit within us. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are what? Say it again. We are children of God. Paul begins to say, remember who you are. Remember what Christ has done for you. He's, he's having us in, see, envision what God has done for us. If children, heirs also. Heirs of God. Fellow heirs with Christ. Being joined to Christ... You and I inherit everything that God has given his son. Which is, that's just a huge, huge concept. Now, the nature of the battle. Living free means learning to find freedom moment by moment and day by day. We will certainly experience real stages of victory and the intensity of the battle in certain areas, will diminish dramatically. So you're not just biting the bullet, having a fierce battle with temptation or, or depression. You're not going to live at that level where you're just, it's just hammer and tongs moment by moment. You, when you, you start out, you often are. 
But God will give us indeed uh, great levels of victory and you'll have far more peace. But the truth is that there, there will always be temptations and assaults until we see Jesus. When I receive Christ, my spirit loves him and wants to obey. Yet Paul says the body we live in has been sold into bondage to sin. Are you still there in Romans 8? Romans 7 verse 14. Look at that. Paul says, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of flesh. And then what he, say, what he says is, sold into bondage to sin. I won't have you repeat that. It's kind of sour. But it's true. I've been sold into bondage to sin. There are forces in the members of my body that wage war against the obedient desires of my mind. I'm not making this up. Look what he says at verse 23. I'll start at 22. I joyfully concur. This is Romans 7, 22. I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man. See, that is not an unbeliever. You'll pardon me. But I see a different law in the members of my body. Waging war against the law of my mind. What I want to do. And making me a prisoner of the, this power of sin which is in the members of my body. When a man or woman surrenders and gives their life to Jesus Christ and truly, truly repents, when you say, Jesus, I love you and I surrender to you, you're my Lord, I, I, I renounce all of these things and I want to serve you, I want you to form yourself in me, I want to obey you. The root of sin, Paul will talk about it in different ways, but the root of the rebellion and the independence that we inherited from Adam, that spiritual thing, it's crucified, it's dead, it's gone. I no longer have that spirit in me, nor do you if you have Christ. You understand? My heart, my inner man, my spirit loves him. My spirit wants to obey him. My heart is not set against him. But I find that in my, my, there's still with me the old stuff of, of, of appetites and fears and adrenaline, of, 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 of thoughts and temptations and stuff that assault me. My heart wants to obey him. It's not a rebel anymore. But I still have powers at work in me that are very strong. They are not something I can just dismiss easily. They pull me and they push me and, they, and they, they grab a hold of me and I find myself doing things I don't want to do and not doing things I do want to do. Yes? This is so accurate, it, can't, it's, it, couldn't, it couldn't be said any better. Paul is describing our predicament, isn't he? There is also a, a, a definite spiritual component to the battle which the enemy can come and influence and harass and that we'll talk about another time. So living in freedom doesn't come from just one event or a special prayer. It's a lifestyle with a new set of skills by which I quickly and effectively draw on the Holy Spirit many times a day. And when I do I discover how great his power is and that he never leaves me. Why did I say this? Doesn't come from just one event or a special prayer. Many people, when they're dealing with their struggles, are looking for somebody to pray a special prayer over them, uh, do something to them, somebody with a whole lot of power that can kind of zap them. <laughs> and so suddenly, mm, I'm fine now. No more problem. It's gone. We can help you when we pray for you. If there's a demonic influence, we can, we can, we can press it away. The funny thing about these, 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 these pressures, these spiritual assaults, they're like garbage flies. When you go to a picnic, don't you always have potato salad? Not, not, yeah. No, it's, it's actually highly glycemic. Um, yeah. So, anyway... 
But many people have potato salad and then you have baked beans usually and then whatever. And, and it's something about flies. They always land on the potato salad, in my opinion. And you, you, got, you, you get that thing and it lands on the potato salad and you go, get out of here. You know, and you brush that thing away and, it, and then it comes back to the potato salad. Have you noticed? And you brush it away and off it goes and then back again. Get out of here. I mean, some of us know what they do when they land, you know. And, and uh, I have a, a lot of biology in my background. And so I'm not wild about those things on my potato salad. And, and so you're brushing it away. You may have noticed that we, we can pray for you. You can come in and say, pray for me. And we'll pray for you. And they'll, get, they'll come relief. And then zzz, it'll come back, won't it? Yes. Ultimately, and, and I'm, you can go and try to find some really holy, powerful person and, and see if they'll fix it for you. Somebody just pray the right prayer. You're kidding yourself. And, and the problem is you can go to a whole lot of them and go do all these routines. And then when you still have to fight the battle daily, you feel like you've failed or God's failed. And he hasn't. You're just misguided. No one can simply take this away from you. There is no zap. There is no prayer that we can pray so you don't have to fight temptation. It's a daily situation by situation battle. And you say, well, that's, that's depressing. There is something more depressing, and that's losing that battle daily and moment by moment. You must take, listen to me, you must take responsibility for your own freedom. Jesus Christ has given you the power, and you must learn to turn to him, to flee to him, and to yield, wield the power he's given you. And you will indeed walk free. And you'll stay free. This is no joke you can do this. I've been getting letters because it's, apparently it's on life lessons right now. And I've been getting some, I had two letters this week where people said, I've been doing that and it works. It does work. Jesus has provided the way for us. We can live free. It's one thing to win a battle. It's another to win the war. We might think to ourselves, wow, that's hard. And in truth it is, but there's something harder. Something far more difficult than winning these battles, and that's losing them. Look at, look at Romans 6, verse 6. Paul will describe all of this. As, he says, boy, whatever you serve, you're going to become a slave to it. So, so we're talking about falling into slavery. So you say, uh, this business of praying, this business of, of dealing with these things, that's, that's hard. I'd rather somebody could just zap me. Well, I'm sorry. You are going to have to take responsibility. You are going to have to learn to participate in this thing on a consistent basis. But there's something harder. Look what Paul says, verse 6 of Romans 6. He says, knowing this, that our old self uh, was crucified with him. That's, the, um, that's that rebellion, the independence, the Adamic nature. When you surrender to Jesus Christ, made him your Lord and, told, and, and, and put your hand in his in trust. You crucified that puppy. In order that the body of sin, the temptations and passions and adrenaline and hormones and everything else that's inside of me might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. You see the word slaves? He who's died is, is freed from sin. Let your eye go down to verse, to verse uh, 12. Therefore, don't let sin reign in your mortal body. Don't let this, these, these, these temptations, these passions, these depressions, all of this... Don't let it control you. And he keeps coming back, doesn't he, to the body. You see, the spirit is whole. The spirit's well. The spirit's united to the Lord. But there's still, my, he said, my body is sold into bondage to sin. This, it's still in the flesh. It's still in the old part of me. So you have the new and the old. Do not, don't let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lusts. And don't go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness. Present yourselves to God as alive from the dead. Your members as instruments of righteousness to God. See, 
I now, my spirit, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, I can submit these things to the Lord. I can stop them, not by my willpower, but by the power of the Spirit, and we'll talk about how, but I can do that and present myself to God. And he says in verse 16, one more, do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin resulting in death or of obedience resulting in righteousness. You and I are going to be the slave of somebody. We are now. Everybody on earth is. You say, well, I don't want to, I'm not going to be anybody's slave. You're already one. You're already one. The choice is either you allow these... Temp- See, the way the devil controls us is through our, through our appetites, our lusts, our fears, our temper, our, our ambition. And he grabs a hold of us and he just keeps working that. And it works just fine. Very effective. But Paul says now, with my spirit free, I can become a slave of Christ. But when Jesus enslaves you, he doesn't enslave you. You surrender yourself to him. Paul opens up the letter of Romans. Paul, uh, a slave, a bondservant, we translate it because it's kind of embarrassing to say slave. But the word is doulos. Paul, a slave of Christ Jesus, the Messiah Jesus. But we pointed out, Paul makes himself a slave. You and I make ourselves God's slave. That's a daily, moment-by-moment choice. Lord, I surrender to you. I give the day to you. How many times have you had to choose over and over again to serve him, to follow him, to give, to give a matter to him, right? Not, he, hasn't, he hasn't put you in bondage. You continue to surrender yourself to him because you love him, you trust him, you know who he is. So you, as it were, present yourself as his bondservant. So I have a choice. But everybody's going to serve somebody. Either I'm going to let let my flesh and the powers of these things control me, or I'm going to present myself regularly to Jesus Christ. Power of vision. People who live free and stay free are people who are pursuing a vision. For them, life is full of importance. So every day is valuable, and they are glad to be alive. They see themselves in a long race, and their hearts anticipate a great prize at the end. They aren't running away from things, they're running towards something. And as they run, hindrances, obstacles, temptations, assaults, are seen as dangerous distractions and enemies that have come to steal away a glorious victory. So when they arrive, they are put aside with relative ease because the desire for the prize is so strong. I want you to see now where we're going with this. I pointed out that there's a battle. There's a daily issue. But it's not enough. I mean, you can teach me how to say no to temptation. I can see the death in it and hate it and decide I don't want it. But you know something? If I have no vision in my life, if I'm not going somewhere, if all I'm doing is getting up in the morning and going to bed at night, if I'm just sort of turning a wheel, clock and time, frankly, I'm so bored that after a while, those temptations become welcome diversions. Because life is just dull. But it wasn't meant, it's never been meant to be. I have their Proverbs 29, 18. Do you see it? It's in your text and I've got some explanations with it. But just, here's what the proverb itself says. Where there is no vision, the people are unrestrained. Would you say that with me? Where there is no vision, the people are unrestrained. Now, people use this verse Actually, misuse it all the time. It's used as a motivational thing. You know, you need a five-year plan. Uh, and, and so, well, there's no vision. People perish. And, and so, let's have a five-year plan. And let's, let's think up something. But if you look at the words, they're really quite clear as to what's being said. Where there is no vision. And the word for vision 
is, is one of the words for prophetic revelation, the kind of prophetic revelation you see in a picture. It's not the one that comes verbally, it's the one that you see. Where there is no prophetic direction which God has shown people, where they see it in their heart and mind, then the people are, and the word is unrestrained. King James says perish, and, and boy, that's a, it's really a bad term for this thing. Out of control is what it means. Let, let go loose, uncovered, run wild. And I'll show you the word, turn with me to Exodus 32 verse 25. In this one verse, that word that's unrestrained or King James translates perish, is used twice. And you, you tell me what it means. Exodus 32, verse 25. Now when Moses saw that the people were, there's the word, what's yours translate? Out of control. For Aaron had let them get, there's the word again, what is it? Out of control. To be a derision among their enemies. What was going on when that happened? Do you recall the story? Yeah, and they're having a, they're having, they're having an orgy. Yeah, that would be it. They're worshiping a false idol, having all the vulgar, vile things that are going on with that. The, you can imagine the drunkenness, the whole thing, the dancing, the sex. It's, they're, they're, they, they are running wild. So what does the proverb say? It says, where there is no prophetic revelation, where God has not spoken and shown people, his plan, his purpose, his direction, where they're not moving towards something, they run wild. They're undisciplined. They lose their control. They, they, become, they become morally at loose ends. As humans, we have been designed to move toward something. You and I have. You have. And only God can tell us what that is. You can't read a book. You can't just take an aptitude test. Well, I'm, a, I'm an orange-green. I'm a, I'm a winter. I'm a, I don't know, whatever, you know. I'm an apple. Have they come up with fruit ones? If they haven't, someone will. Those aren't wrong. Sometimes they're remarkably accurate. In, de in describing you. But it isn't a matter of knowledge. It's a matter of revelation. It's a matter of having heard from God. That's what lights the light. Not knowing what I am. Knowing what he said to me. Do you see it? This is really critical. So you can take all the tests in the world. You can run around and ask everybody what they think you should do. Who you are. But until God has spoken and you know it. Till you and he have had a conversation and he said, this is who you are. This is what I'm calling you to do. This is what I want you to do in this situation. You and I do not have vision. We may have information. But we don't have this. And where there is no vision... People are unrestrained because there's no real motivation. You have been created by God to do something important. Now that's not just, this isn't like a, let's have a, a little positive thinking moment. You are created in his image. He has, he does love us. We are the, the, heart, the center of his heart. He, and he has made, given us the privilege of partnering with him in the one important thing there is to do on this planet. And that is the redemption of lost people. He's gifted you, empowered you, and invited you as his daughter, his son, to participate with him. And he has a way for that. And he has designs where he wants you to live and what you want you to do. Who he wants you to marry. How, how he wants you to, where he's, how he's going to employ you and provide for you. All of those things matter. Because you're on assignment. And if you don't see that. And if you don't live that way. You fall into simply looking for entertainment. You're bored. And why not? Life's boring.
How many times can you brush your teeth, for heaven's sakes? Hopefully a lot. But do you notice how it's just like, here we go again. It's like, didn't I just get up and do this? When I have vision, when I have a sense of assignment, when the Lord's spoken to me, it's like, yeah, come on. And when I don't, it's like, oh, baby, another day. It's a huge difference. I want to, I want to let, let me put a warning in here. Look, did you see the warning? Our society is at war with this kind of vision. First, it says there's no God. Then it tells us that we've been evolved from a primordial ooze. And then it says, when we die, we cease to exist. And then with all that happy vision in front of us, we're exhorted to say no to drugs and recycle and save the planet. <laughs> I'm not making that up, am I? I mean, Wall Street Journal yesterday, you got the, you got the thing where you go down from the, from the monkey and it gets bigger and bigger. And then, and then the last person is a, is a businesswoman in high heels. And it, just show, and it says, why did the human race survive? And I, I haven't read it yet, but it's exciting. I'm sure I'm going to... I think I, I looked at the thing this morning just to see what it, where it was going. And it had something to do with... Uh, uh, we, were create, we had a creative gene. <laughs> That's why we're here. Cool. Let's live for that. I don't know if, I don't know where it comes from, and I don't want to just insult people, but how you don't get the implications of this. Tell your young people, you want to know who it really damages? You know where this vision thing is huge? It's with the young. Take a young man or young woman, and you tell them there is no God, so there's no right or wrong. There is no, you're just evolved. Uh, I mean, a lightning bolt hit a little puddle of, of amino acids at some point, and lo and behold, you had a protein, and we were on our way. And uh, so you just evolved out of this. And when you die, by the way, there's nothing on the other side. You'll lose consciousness, consciousness immediately and cease. Say no to drugs. And, and let's save the planet. Let me tell you something. If those things are true, the only reasonable question is why should I bother? I don't matter and neither do you. And there's no getting around it. All we are is a biological accident that took place somewhere in this universe. That's all we are. It's a little moment where you had, you had a little green scum on one of the planets and then it went away. You have no value. You are of no value. You are simply a, a, a remarkable biological accident. There isn't right or wrong. You'd rather I didn't hurt you and I'd rather you didn't hurt me, but we're just a couple of ants in a hill. Do you follow that? That is the only reasonable, bold, honest look at it. You can come up and say, well, no, there's an ethic in this. We ought to, we ought to try not to harm each other. Okay, then let's be good ants. You're right. Let's be good ants. And let's be happy about being ants. And just sort of live bravely with the horrible realities. I could write all kinds of books and they have been written on exactly that. This society you live in is systematically industrial strength trying to strip you of your vision and assuring you that you have no real meaning. That your religion is a psychological need you have. Just try not to hurt anybody with it. There isn't a God. Everybody's just at work. Do you hear this? And you wonder why people are having a hard time. And why the society is becoming so unrestrained. Where every rule, every moray, every value system is just going down in flames. Every person put in a position of trust is failing it. Boy, what's happening? What's going wrong? Oh, I wonder. Without a vision, the people 
are unrestrained and there's only one place to get the vision. And it's from God. Only he can give the vision. And he has to tell us over and over again, frankly, because we forget. I got to keep coming back to him. I'll show you one example. I'm not going to take all of these. Let's look at Timothy. Go with me to 2 Timothy, would you? I want to show you here where Paul is speaking to a young pastor. He brought Timothy to the Lord. Timothy's his son in the Lord. He and, he and Barnabas did. Timothy was um, a young boy in Lystra. His grandmother and his mother all received Christ when Paul went there. Paul went there a couple of times, if you recall. This is where he was stoned, I think, to death, dragged out of town. This is where I think he had his, his vision of, 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 the, of the heavenlies. And they prayed for him, and I think he was virtually brought back to life, is what it appears. And Timothy goes clear back to there. Well, Timothy has been left. Paul's in jail, as he writes this, and he will die shortly, apparently. How shortly, we don't know, but uh, it's, it's, this is his final letter. And he says, I anticipate it coming soon. And we do know he was taken out and his head cut off. So Paul's about to die. Timothy's about to lose his spiritual father, one of them. And by the way, when Paul dies, I think, there's no question he, from Hebrews, Timothy then goes and assists his other spiritual father, who is Barnabas. And Timothy is pastoring a large congregation. In Ephesus. And they are a pain in the neck. I mean he's got, he's got all the problems. All, he's got heresy. He's got people attacking him because he's young. He's got, he's got moral issues. He's got alcoholism. That's why Paul tells him take a little wine uh, with your water. Because Timothy's teetotaling completely. Not, not, not putting any, any wine in his water to, to uh, sanitize it. Because he's got so many drunks. So, so the whole, he's, he's up to his ears in alligators. And he's discouraged. And now he's going to lose his father in the Lord. And he's overwhelmed. I want you to hear how Paul deals with the discouragement and helps Timothy run the race and stay on track. And you'll see it. 2 Timothy 1 verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God... According to the promise of life in Christ Jesus. Paul starts with his own call. I've been called as an apostle. I have vision, Timothy. I have a vision. The Lord has given me a specific call. And he, he opens and, 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 and with that. And the prize which Paul's eyes are fixed on. Which is eternal life. You see it? Verse 2. To Timothy, my beloved son. Grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. He tells Timothy he loves him and then prays a blessing over him. Verse 3. I thank God whom I serve with a clear conscience the way my forefathers did as I constantly remember you in my prayers night and day. He assures him that he is praying for him all the time. Verse 4. I longing to see you, even as I recall your tears, so that I may be filled with joy. Paul says he knows Timothy is suffering and feeling alone. He remembers how he felt when he left. Verse 5. For I am mindful of the sincere faith within you, which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And I am sure that it's in you as well. He reminds him of the steady faith of his godly grandmother and mother. And then he says this, verse 6. For this reason, I remind you to kindle afresh the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Basically, he says, I remind you to fan into flame, that's the Greek, the charisma. Fan into flame the charisma, the grace gift that God has given you. When he called you and set you apart for ministry. In other words, Timothy, remember your assignment and the Holy Spirit who empowers you to fulfill it. What does he do for a weary young man? 
for, for an overwhelmed young man, for a young man who's beginning to really struggle under the weight of all that he has, undoubtedly thinking of quitting, wants to run. <laughs> Get me out of here. He reminds him of his vision, of what God said to him. Do you remember? Don't you remember what happened when we laid hands on you? How the power came on you, young man? And God embraced you and gifted you. Do you remember your calling? He brings him back to vision. Turn just to the second chapter of Timothy there. Second Timothy. I'll just show you this quickly. You, you probably know these verses. They're beautiful. Verse 3. He tells Timothy, I want you to suffer hardship with me like a good soldier. Christ Jesus. And he says, no soldier in active service entangles himself in, himself in the affairs of everyday life. So he can please the one who enlisted him. And then verse 5 he says, also if anyone competes as an athlete, he doesn't win the prize unless he competes according to the rules. And then verse 6 he says, the hardworking farmer ought to be the first to receive his share of the crops. Timothy, like a soldier, don't get entangled in daily life and lose your focus. Stay on your call. Timothy, like an athlete, run between the lines that God's given you and obey his rules. Timothy, like a farmer, don't grow impatient. Crops grow slowly. And you'll be rewarded by God for your endurance. Where does vision come from? It comes from God alone. There's no other source for it. It comes from the, the Lord's voice to my heart. We need our calling refreshed, but we also need a constant flow of revelation or we lose our passion and fall into a rut. One more place. Would you go with me to, first, uh, to Isaiah 58? I struggle in sharing what I'm about to say because you know it so well. And I have learned as a pastor over the years, and I have my own struggles. So it's not like I, it's not like I got this down and everybody else got a problem. We know this, but we don't do this. And so I'm not, try, I'm not trying to sort of, just don't take this as like I knew that. Yeah, you knew that, and so do I. But there's a reality here that if we could somehow step into it and begin to practice this, then vision will come. Isaiah 58 verse 13. The Lord says, If because of the Sabbath, that day you take to be quiet and rest and, and be with the Lord, you turn your foot from doing your own pleasure. In other words, this isn't a day of recreation. It's, it's not a time, and, and I'm, not trying to, I'm not trying to argue for a, a Sabbath day as such, or any particular day, you know that. But if he's, I, I'm applying this as, as, as really serious time with the Lord. And you call this as the Sabbath a delight, the holy day of the Lord honorable. Not a, not a pain in the neck, not a burden, but you see it as a delightful time to be with him. And honor it, desisting from your own ways. Seeking your own pleasure. And speaking your own words. So it's not a recreational day. He says, if you'll give time to God and sit with him, then what will happen? Verse 14. Then you will take delight in the Lord and you, I will make you ride on the heights of the earth. And I will feed you with a heritage of Jacob for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. I have done enough of this to know what he means. This isn't poetry, and it's not just a nice thought. If I will take the time to quiet down, which for me takes hours, this isn't a few minutes, with a cell phone, keeping an eye on it, I have to somehow separate myself from the electronic umbilical cord. And I have to be quiet. And I'm usually so tired and frustrated and I got a million things on my mind that it takes me I don't know how long to just 
kind of write down all of the things I forgot to do. Because I got to get them out of my mind. And then to stop grumbling about somebody. (laughs) And then apologize to the Lord. And then turn my spirit. There's a moment where I turn my spirit. And I begin to interact with him. Somewhere in there, he will begin to talk to me if I wait. He's always there. He's always talking. It's not like there's certain moments he says, okay, today I'm going to talk to Steve. He's always there, but sometimes Steve, most of, much of the time, Steve can't hear him. But then when, if Steve will stay where he belongs and wait and press through, that membrane, that callus will push aside and I hear from him again. And when I do, the entire, my entire attitude changes. The other day I had, I had a, he began to talk to me about things I hadn't even planned. I'm just sitting down having my time and he starts talking to me about actually the series you're in right now. That's in my prayer journal. And I hadn't anticipated it. It's just, I'm just scribbling down as it comes. And then he gives me other stuff that I wasn't even asking about. And I have a fresh season in me of vision from him. It, I'm telling you, anything we do, and I can tell you that pastoring, it gets laborious. And you, and you, you begin to think, oh man, I don't have the stuff that it takes. I don't know how to, I don't know what we're doing. And then when God says, Here's what we're doing. And I know I've heard from him. It's like, I can do this. Hallelujah. And you come at it with fresh energy. Without a vision, Steve Shell perishes. So do you. The other day, uh, we, we, we have, and we do it quarterly, we have these silent prayer retreats. And it's, it's built on this very principle that I'm talking about now. Needing to be quiet and hear from the Lord. And you all know that. But if I asked you personally, 90% of you would say, Steve, I believe in that. I know that. But he's, I just, I'm so busy. I got little children or I got, I got, I got my job and, I, and I'm so tired. I, I just, I, I, I know that and I want to do that. But I just can't seem to get the time. And then when I do, I, I can't seem to break through. Right? So we said, let's have a prayer retreat. Let's have a place where we take people and just, and, and kind of coach them a little bit, but then just it's a silent weekend. So it starts on Friday night, goes through Sunday uh, early afternoon. And we, we take people to a monastery. And, and there's 50 acres of well-manicured land and a place to walk. And, and you have this, you know, this, this room. And there's a talking dining room and a non-talking dining room. And We have some worship, but mostly we've got a couple of pastors and we just cover you and let you sit with the Lord and encourage you to turn off the phone. And people have our number and if something catastrophic happens, we'll tell you. Now you you take us busy people. At first you just... Right? What I'm pointing to is this is the problem. It isn't that there's no vision for you. If you say, I haven't heard from him. I don't have one. I can tell you why. It isn't that he doesn't love you. It isn't that he doesn't have a vision. It isn't that he doesn't have an answer for your situation. He does. You have not learned to hear him. Well, my, my daughter, one of my daughters, was, was going through a big question. And, and it's been a some hanging stuff for a long time. And, and I, she knows all this. And I say, come on. You know, I, know I do, I do, I try. And I'm, I can't seem to hear. And I said, we've got this retreat. Would you go? All right. So she goes. And she called me on the way back. I said, so how was it? She says, daddy, I wish I didn't have to come home. 
She says, oh, I said, did he talk to you? She says, oh, yeah. And she starts telling me all the stuff that God said to her. It's all the stuff I wanted him to, you know. It's like, oh, yes. But uh, you and I can't say things. You know, I, we can say it. But people don't hear it the same way. When the Lord speaks to someone's heart, it's entirely different. And so she starts telling you what God's saying. And, she, and, and, and what you see in her is faith in the eyes. There's an animation and an energy and a different persona in respect to all of this. Because God has spoken to her and given her vision. Where there's vision. Where there's vision, when temptations and assaults and these things come, your thought is, no way. You're not stealing my blessing from me. You're not stealing my calling from me. I got much too important business. Get out of here. And you have a resolve and you have a, a, a your heart is not, not lured by it. But I'm telling you, over the long haul, where if you, if you don't live with vision, if you're just getting up and keeping yourself comfy, you will get bored. Because you're not designed for that. And then when the temptations come, you begin to entertain them. Because the diversion is better than nothing. Where there's vision. And there's only one place to get it. From the Lord himself. And he has one. And you know that. And I'm just saying, there are those retreats. They don't take a lot of people. You'll have to get on the list. This isn't an ad for that. But if there's any way we can help you, if there's anything that needs to be done, somewhere, take a day. Take a part of a day. Give enough time. I, for me, I take it usually on Friday or Monday. Mondays around here, I've been so tired, I can't, I'm no good for anything. I mean, I do rest. I take a Sabbath, but I'm just toast. But on a Friday, I'll fast. I usually do it till noon, two o'clock, somewhere in there. I've told you that. I just drink tea and stay buzzed. And just sit with the Lord. And it's in those moments that the sermons come and the, and the and direction for things come and, and, and the worries lift and I, and, I, and I get fresh energy and fresh love for him. And I remember it's, it isn't about me being Pastor Steve. This is Steve Shell, who's loved Jesus for a long time and just lived my life out with him. I get called back to just my walk with Jesus. You understand? Without a vision, Steve Shell perishes. Without a vision, you perish. We all, we're understrained. We're meant to live going somewhere. Would you stand with me? Blessed be Jesus. Lord, you've made us for yourselves. We aren't evolved primordial ooze. There is a God. And we do not cease after we die. But there is eternal life and you've made us for eternal purposes. Lord, we reject the lies of the world. We choose. We live with eyes that see a distant land. We live with eyes that see beyond that veil at the end. And we know that the, what we do with this life is of eternal importance. You've, been, you've made us for yourself and you've invited us into this great work. Lord, I pray for every man, every woman right now where the devil's tried to steal it, where the devil's tried to condemn us or shame us. Say, look at the failure in your life. You can't be used of God. Lord, we, do, we refuse that lie right now. And Father, we pray that you will teach us. We've got to have vision from you. It can't even be motivation from the weekend services. It's got to be your voice to each of our hearts. Grace us, our Father. Teach us how, each one, to find our time with you and to take that time and to listen. And then, Lord, as you speak to our hearts and show us the, the, the situation by situation, show us our calling. That like Paul, we will run the race, we will set our eyes on the prize. That, Lord, these, the, with the, the hindrances and the sins which so easily beset us, We'd cast them aside 
that we might run to Jesus Christ. Empower us, Lord. Grant us vision. Open our spiritual eyes to see, to see your purpose, your plan in our lives. And thank you for the power to live free and to run, run free, to serve you efficiently, effectively, full of the Spirit the rest of our lives. We receive that grace upon us now. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. If that's your prayer, would you say amen? Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, please click the like button, subscribe, and share it with a friend. For more information, just head to our website, lifelessonspublishing.com. That's lifelessonspublishing.com. There you'll be able to order many of the books Pastor Steve has written.